Welcome to the Educate US podcast with your host, Nick Saveri, Dr. Stacy Schultz, and Dr. Patrice Fenton. Three former teachers and administrators talking about a wide range of topics happening in education. Time to educate us. For this episode, we're first going to go back into something that came up on our previous episode that we got some helpful feedback on from a colleague of ours. So we're going to dive further into that. Then we're going to go into a interview that we did with a just a fantastic educator who's doing some incredible work in the space of recruitment and retention of black educators. Something that's very something that we're all very passionate about on this program. But we'll get to Devin's story in a little bit. First and foremost, the last episode we did, we talked about, we teased out the incredible book that is currently in development by Stacy Patrice. But what we heard from folks was, well, the book's exciting, but can you tell us a little bit more about it? And we wanted to spend this first segment with you all doing just that. So, Stacy, I'm going to go to you first. When you think about this book and just content that really sticks out to you, because we talked in the previous episode about the why of the book, but I want to get more to the meat and guts of it. Um, tell us about some of the parts of this book that you've been really passionate about, some of the things you've learned about along the way as you've been doing the co-authoring. Sure, Nick. Happy, happy to. So, one of the things that Patrice and I were exploring throughout the book is, and, and also throughout our careers, is how do you create communities of belonging? How do you shift power? And in school systems, you know, it's very hierarchical. Um, power is often in, um, you know, hands of mostly white people. And we were trying to create a book and a setting and a framework for well, how do you shift that autonomy? How do you create a community of belonging? And how do you create shared decision-making? So we're really trying to provide um, a framework and scaffold for leaders to consider actions they can take in creating a community of belonging where Black educators Latinx educators, indigenous educators feel welcome and heard and seen. Patrice, just expanding on that of just visibility, what comes up to you when you think about that as a role, as it relates to the classroom for both students and educators? I mean, there have been scores of studies that have come out in the last few years, maybe more than a few, around the importance of representation in the classroom um, and that you know, having black teachers, teachers of color is not just helpful for um, students of color, but it's helpful for all students, right? So if you think about the diversity of our nation um, and the importance of young people being exposed to that diversity, it becomes even more important and imperative for us to consider that in, in our school buildings. Um, if you think about it, you know, school is compulsory in our country. It means every young person, every child has to pass through a school. Um, and our schools are sites of learning, or at least they should be. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you think about the people who are leading that learning and they should really reflect um, the fabric of our nation, you know? So um, I think it's, it's becoming even more imperative for um, schools to take up this this very important task of ensuring that, you know, the schools are really reflecting not just your own community, 
but really um the and not just your own community and not just in terms of like race ethnicity but also in terms of thought um socioeconomic status uh religious background etc all the all the different ways we think about or can think about um diversity uh it should be reflected in our schools so um yeah i, I just I, I think that this conversation is important um not just on the, the front of like oh diversity is like this magic silver bullet that people like to talk about but also in terms of creating experiences for young people as they're going through their learning journeys Teresa, you mentioned something about representation and before we hit the record button and folks you should all know listeners that sometimes some of the most interesting parts of the podcast are usually what happens before you hit the record button. And so I want to bring something pre-record into this space. Stacy. before I hit the record button for this conversation today, you had shared some really jarring statistics, just things that you both have been aware of in the writing of this book as it relates to representation and oftentimes not representation of educators and leaders and school leader districts. Could you mind sharing some of those just jarring statistics? Sure. So we were discussing that roughly 78% of teachers in the public school system today are white women. Um, additionally, roughly 90 plus percent of superintendents in districts are white men. With that in mind, you know, and as you were sharing that, I'm sitting with my respective experience as well. And I want to just bring you both to this too. I'm thinking about the educators that I've been fortunate enough to have growing up. And disproportionately, I, I did have white teachers. Um, I think in my elementary years, almost predominantly white women. And then by middle school and high school, it was more of a split um, with very few African-American teachers until maybe high school. And really, it was just in, in my math classes, actually. For you both, those, those statistics aside, where do you both fall into that? Like, what are your respective lived experiences as it relates to ethnic diversity or lack thereof in your respective educational experiences? So um, I had a similar experience in elementary school. I think in my early years, I had all teachers of color. So I mean, like your preschool years, uh, kindergarten, um, yeah, up to first grade, actually. Then once I got into elementary school, predominantly white women. After that, though, I had majority teachers of color. Um, and talking in my, about my K-12 experience, you know, once I got to post-secondary, there was a little bit of a different story. Um, but definitely, I, I think the diversity continued now that I think about it. But in terms of K-12, I think I've been extraordinarily blessed in that I've had majority teachers of color, particularly toward the latter half of my, my uh, public school career. I'm going to stay with you on that, because as you mentioned having that exposure or having teacher having having African American teachers that um in as part of your educational upbringing you know we talk often about the value of representation so as a person who who had that experience and now stepping back as an educator and just with the years of experience you had what what felt really profound what really sort of resonated with you of that experience of having someone who looked like you being your educational guide you know, the thing is that I didn't even realize that it was a thing until I was an adult because it was such a norm for me. I, you know, I had, uh, I remember my sixth grade teacher uh, was a black man and he had us reading Things Fall Apart, which um, I didn't realize at the time was huge. I, I like literally had no idea. Um, and 
So this was just, it was regular. It was just a, you know, it was a normal thing. My junior high school, I had mostly black teachers. I didn't, I didn't even, it just didn't occur to me that it was a thing that um, was impacting me. In retrospect, I realized like probably a larger other part of the reason why I became an educator is because of that fact. I don't know. And of, of course it's hard to say now, but I don't know if I would have felt as inclined um, and it took me a while to get there even so, but I, I don't know if I would have felt as inclined to become a teacher if it hadn't been for the black teachers that have, you know, proliferated my journey for sure. Stacey, you've, you've worked in, you've worked in urban environments. Um, as a white educator, what comes up for you with, when you think of, cause you you've spoken often about the importance of representation as well. You know, when you were starting your educational career, what did you recognize um, in the students that you were serving um, and maybe other colleagues of yours as well? Like, where were all of you with regards to identity and recognizing as a white educator, like the opportunity to further connect to students who, who do not look or sound like you? Well, first, um, I wanted to say we try we try not to use urban. Um, it has certain connotations. So we say, you know, city, uh, school districts. And so. Uh, I would first go there and just mention. So in the cities that I've worked in, New York City, uh, I think first, as someone who grew up in Philadelphia, in the inner in inner city Philadelphia, and went to school in Philadelphia, you know, I was in a very diverse population of students. And so I think I recognized my whiteness at a at a young age. <laughs> um, so it wasn't when I became a teacher. Um, it was really much earlier on um, through different experiences and uh, engagements with uh, particularly adult women of color who were, I would say, generous in helping me uh, explore my identity um, at that time. Um, also coming from, you know, one of my grandfathers was always very big on exploring my Jewish identity and uh, what that means in the world. Uh, and so I think when I got to teaching and I have been exploring and continue to explore, you know, my whiteness, because I think I believe it's a journey there were just some things I knew as a white woman I would not be able to understand and or, you know, support the students in. And one of the things, obviously, I I was not, I am not a black male. I could not transform into a black male. So I really reached out to the community to bring in um black males that have gone through similar experiences to engage with my students. I first want to bring up, Stacey, what you brought before about recognizing um, the triggering and like the loaded term of urban. And I appreciate you bringing that up and something, especially like that you bring it up because one of the things that we want to do on this show is call people in and sometimes call people out too, both our guests and ourselves, because we want to be in a space of understanding and recognizing you know, what, what we bring into these conversations. So I consider that a gift, just that feedback I got. And and that is kind of a whiff of sort of the culture that we want to bring here. So I appreciate you for bringing that up. Um, as we start to th and think of this book, I also often think about this seems to be a book to bring about a conversation. And we've been talking right now about representation as being one of 
perhaps one of the pillars that this book really sparks a discussion of. With that in mind, for you, for you both, and Stacey, I'll stay with you on this. What's another conversation you're hoping this book will bring about in in classrooms and faculty rooms, and just those who are invested in in the education of our of our children? The concept of power and decision making, uh, how that's shared uh, in a school community, you know, and really giving voice to teachers and parents more to really discuss, you know, what are the needs that we're seeing as a community and how to make that space without feeling as a leader. Because I know often we hear this from leaders like, I don't want to lose control or it's going to take us in a whole different direction or, you know, a lot of different concerns come up in that vein. And so I think providing leaders with some tools and ideas on how to navigate that, but really invite it. And with that, we're going to hold that tease right here for what else this book gets to offer all of us as it's being written and soon to be and eventually to be released. When we come back, we're going to expand on this conversation of representation with our guest, our first guest actually on this show, which of course is Devin Morris, who is co-founder of the Teacher's Lounge. What the Teacher's Lounge is and what Devin's work is all about, my colleague Patrice will take you all under the tent of that as we bring on our guests. So be sure to stick around. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. So it is my esteemed pleasure to welcome and introduce a dear friend and colleague and fellow grantee uh, with the Edlock Boulder Fund. Shout out to Edlock, Education Leaders of Color, um, and co-founder of the Teacher's Lounge, uh, Devin Morris. Uh, Devin's a fellow Brooklynite. Shout out to Brooklyn. Y'all know I love me some Brooklyn. Um, a former teacher, leader, and uh, just an amazing human being. So it's my pleasure to bring him into our space to share his work um, and talk about some very, very interesting and important um, information that I think our listeners will 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 find very, very um, helpful and um, forward thinking. So uh, Devin, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Sure. Hello, everyone. Uh, Patrice, thank you for having me and thank you for the Brooklyn love and welcome. Always, always welcome. Uh, Nick, Stacy, so great to be connected as well. Uh, my name is Devin Morris. I'm the co-founder and executive director of the Teachers Lounge. Uh, we do work to recruit, revitalize and retain educators of color throughout the greater Boston area and beyond. Um, and so that looks like a few different things, but um, social and professional networking opportunities for uh, educators of color, um, as well as, um, that's, and that's professional development, um, and, and social opportunities engaging, uh, educators of color. But then I think something that we learned really early, uh, you know, we co-founded back in 2018, um, no matter how dope and necessary of a respite that we had created, uh, once a month on a Saturday afternoon for educators of color throughout the greater Boston area, folks were naming that. Um, about their experience that they were 
you know, returning to oftentimes toxic work environments on, on Monday. And so we realized that we had to shift our practice a bit, to make sure that we weren't just putting a bandaid over a bullet wound. Um, and so we started engaging schools and districts, um, providing equity centered hiring and retention practices and supports and developing those um, and uplifting the voices of the educators of color within those schools and districts um, to be decision makers and, and, and provide uh, lived, through their lived experiences um, to, sh- to change policies and practices. Um, so a, a broad overview of the work that we've been doing for the past uh, almost five years now. Um, and then we most recently just launched what's called the Clock Fellowship, Classroom Leaders of Color, which is doing work uh, centered around providing coaching and mentoring from veteran educators of color um, to bridge the gap for early career educators of color um, and providing those coaching and mentoring opportunities that don't exist right now in our schools because we don't have enough veteran educators of color in the profession. Devin, as you just mentioned about toxic work environments that you and your team would hear about, could you share some examples of what folks would share when they talked about, um, because you're speaking to what people sometimes call as like the Sunday blues, right? Like going back to work and like what sort of produces that anxiety. Um, So if you can just share a little bit of some of those examples that you all heard. Sure. Um, It's like Sunday blues on steroids, Nick, just to be clear, right? I think most folks you know, love the weekend and say, right, going back to work on Monday um, is, is, is stressful. But um, this, this, what we're, what we've been hearing, what we continue to hear from educators of color around, um, there's something that, that had been dubbed the invisible tax, um, that additional burden that educators of color face in serving predominantly students of color. Um, and that looks like uh, feeling like you're one of the few who care about and connect with the babies that we serve it feels like added responsibilities from um, colleagues and from your leadership um, in support of these uh, students that we seek to to serve and the families that we seek to serve. And so, I think one of the things we hear often is uh, from educators of color, those who have left the profession and those who are considering leaving the profession, is that we don't leave our babies, we don't leave students, right? We're leaving leadership and or um, those who we work alongside. Um, and that looks like added burdens and responsibilities in trying to, um, so we often talk about how, because we build really strong connections with students, how that means that we oftentimes take on additional responsibilities through the workday. And that can look like becoming the disciplinarian. It can look like added workload of making phone calls to families um, because we um speak home languages or because we just have cultural context and, and, and build stronger relationships with those families. Um, and that's in addition to right our, our day-to-day job bullets. Um, but then it also looks like, um, you know, microaggressions um, and macroaggressions. It looks like um, discrediting expertise and experiences, um, just to name a few. Um, so we hear we hear a, a lion's share of like th- those types of reports from educators of color about their experiences um, in the workplace. But then if if I take it one step further, and specifically why we we introduced something like the Clock Fellowship is because we were also seeing the tokenizing the tokenizing of educators of color, and so we get um, promoted into leadership opportunities 
before we're ready and without the commensurate levels of support that we need. And then we feel further isolated in those leadership roles. And now we burn out at the leadership level. And now we've lost a classroom educator of color and a leader of color from the classroom altogether. And so how are we creating, I think we often hear folks talking about, um, you know, pulling up a seat at the table, but what does it look like to make that table truly inviting, inclusive, and honoring the the lived experiences and expertise of, um, you know, a diverse and representative cadre of of educators to be in that space. And we haven't we haven't quite grappled with that idea. And I think we continue to bring folks to the table, but then still um, having the inherently racist uh, practices that exist at that leadership level that then sort of. Um, turns us away from from roles, from districts, from the profession. It's so interesting. Thank you, uh, Devin. Um, so we uh, recently read an article that was published in Education Week by Dr. Patina Love, esteemed scholar, Black scholar, Dr. Patina Love. Um, and it's mm-hmm. called Stop Trying to Recruit Black Teachers Until You Can Retain the Ones You Have. Yes, yes. Um, sounds like you're familiar. So <laughs> she opened up um, talking about the very same things that you just raised, how Black teachers are often called on to be not just teachers, but mentors, counselors, disciplinarians. I mean, um, just a score of different uh, roles that are full outside of the normal teaching um, expectations and then aren't obviously compensated for that additional labor, aren't recognized for it, um, but expected to show up and show out every single day, right? So one of the things that we kind of called out in this article um, that I kind of identified as a premise. I'll just read a quote for you. She says, Black teachers have different needs from their peers because of this country's long history of anti-Blackness. To ignore those needs is to choose to perpetuate a harmful and racist education system for Black teachers and students. Hmm. So for me, I saw this as the premise of the article. And what strikes me, and not just in this article, but even in my own work in teacher recruitment, teacher retention, um, is that I'm not sure many people operate with that as their baseline knowledge that our system is inherently racist. So I was curious sure. um, on your thoughts on this and how does that show up in your work? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is this is I, I don't want to talk about anything else. This is right. this is it. This is right. the topic to discuss, um, as Dr. Love has has noted. So. Um, so, first of all. We, we um, believe it or not, don't have as big of a recruitment problem as many would, would think or report, right? Or, or let me just, let me, let me stop speaking in, in general terms. In Massachusetts and Boston specifically, um, the issue is bigger than recruitment and it is this retention piece. And so the fact that we can like focus the conversation there is, is really big, but then when we do talk about long-term recruitment um, cycles and, and, and pathways, we have to think about our babies, our current students of color, our current Black students, the, our lived experiences as Black students in K-12 education systems. It is, it's, it's like um, asking, right, if we're asking folks to return to a scene of trauma, a scene of the crime, um, years later, why would if, if, if our experiences in K through 12 education systems are harmful and are toxic, why would we come back? Why would we ever consider this a, a viable profession? And then you take it a step further. 
if we look at, if you have students right now, students of color looking at educators of color in the profession who are leaving at the rate that they are, that, that, that they are leaving, why would we consider this a viable profession, right? And so that sort of grappling with um, our uh, racist education system, but more so when we talk about systems, it's really important. We need to talk, these are people that uphold systems. And so it is people within education. And we, if you don't adopt an anti-racist leadership to begin with, and that doesn't mean perfectionism, it doesn't mean that you know everything, but this idea of an iterative approach to this work and, and grappling with our demons, then we will continue to further perpetuate um, the systems that then isolate and, 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 and exile um, uh, our babies that then makes it that much harder to then recruit long-term. With that said, we have folks who are looking to change systems. We have an incredible, in Boston in specific, specifically, we have an incredible group of educators of color who enter into the profession, are seeking to be the change that we had hoped, right, to be the teachers that we needed and be the change that we hoped to see in our education system, despite every reason to run kicking and screaming from the profession. The issue is, is that we are not empowered in decision-making spaces um, and in ways that still allow us to remain to be as impactful as we can be within the classroom. And so thinking of new ways of creating leadership opportunities from within the classroom that then allow for teacher voice and experiences and student voice and experiences to be a part of decision-making processes. This is the component of the, a, a phrase that we use often, which is nothing about us without us is for us. Say it again, nothing about us without us is for us. And there are too many spaces at present, decision-making spaces and tables um, that are making decisions on behalf of students of color and educators of color that are not inclusive of that same demographic. And so how do we shift policies and practices, hearts and minds um, on behalf of educators of color and the students that we serve if we are not empowered in those spaces? And that has to be the shift. And, and I, the thing that we push schools and districts on to no end is I don't care if you have one educator of color on staff at present. How are how is that one educator of color empowered, supported and cared for and then involved in? And so sorry, separately poured into for the sake of their well-being, period, with no other expectation from them, with proper compensation. Then we can talk about how they can be leveraged as part of recruitment strategies that are rooted in their lived experience and why they chose the district, despite being the only to then talk about how they're incorporated into other recruitment strategies long-term that then can drive more educators of color to the district or to the school um, and towards, you know, leadership opportunities, et cetera. But like all of those policies, practices need to shift. And that starts with the, the, the hearts and minds and uplifting sort of those who have already chosen a given school or district. Thanks, Devin, for getting into that. And I'm sure, as you said, how much time do we have? And oh there's goodness. so much to explore <laughs> in that realm of, um, as you mentioned, developing those very meaningful, um, diverse tables in education. And as you uh, as you share, nothing about us without us is for us. So sure. how are we shifting those those minds? And so in your work at the teachers lounge, you know, what is some of the most surprising things that are that came up as you co-founded and are leading it? 
Um, I think so much. And, and I'm actually going to steer clear of the, which Patrice knows, the, the incredible and hard lessons we learn as leaders of uh, in this nonprofit work who care so deeply about um, those who we seek to partner with and, and serve alongside. But um, I think one of the things in working with schools and districts who have stated that um, teacher diversity and teacher retention are extremely important um, to them, um, how little um, time, energy, resources are then dedicated towards setting um, actionable goals around uh, teacher retention. I think everyone will have, or most folks will have sort of recruitment goals, but this idea of we are shooting for, we are dedicating resources towards um, and positions towards retaining more diverse educators, um, it's rare that that exists as part of their uh, SMARTY goals. Um, and that's a wild concept. If you haven't set goals on retention, then there's no way that you're, you're just magically going to achieve it. I think that's one component. I think the other is this concept that um, that is not rocket science around if the outcome that you desire is that more educators of color stay in the profession, in your district, right, in the state, um, then what are we learning from those who leave through exit surveys, exit interviews, um, or and or what are we doing to listen to those who still continue to choose the profession and the district and the state um, on a regular basis and empower those folks to be a part of these decision-making processes and, and with proper compensation. I'm going to keep reiterating that. Um, that seems to be a foreign concept and I don't know why. Um, and I think that that continues to prove to be surprising because um, I don't think anything that the teacher's lounge is doing is cutting edge. Um, and yet it seems to be a thing that um, schools and districts right throughout Massachusetts and even other states value um, but I really do think that it's about time, energy, and care for those who we say uh, we care about and 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 want to uh, empower. Yeah, that's a perfect transition, bringing us back. We've done this incredible tour of where where the challenges are <clears throat> in the education space as it relates to retaining black to retain black educators, and bringing us back to the teachers' lounge. As we start to draw to a close, what are some ways that people can engage with the organization, be able to support the organization? Yeah, so um, we are um, on LinkedIn. Uh, it's the Teachers Lounge. So it's the plural version of it, which often gets confused. So the apostrophe is after the yes. Um, on LinkedIn, um, you can find us on Instagram. It's the Teachers Lounge MA. MA is for Massachusetts. Um, and then similarly, uh, TTL two underscores, TTL underscore underscore MA um, on Twitter as well. I think those are the big platforms that we're on. Um, we have, you know, uh, um, our website, www.theteachersloungema.org uh, is a really great resource to find um, all of our program offerings. And I name that to say, there, there are a number of offerings that, that are specific to Massachusetts, 
Um, but we are also doing, um, I think, a, a, a pretty good job of uh, partnerships with folks who are doing incredible work uh, across the country and thinking of ways in which we are engaging and supporting folks um, in other states as well and providing resources that can be beneficial. So a job posting portal that that's accessible to educators of color and schools and districts. Um, it's free of charge for educators of color. Um, and uh, soon we are, it's developed, but we are launching a sort of online platform through Mighty Networks as a space where we can remove ourselves as the middle, middle people um, and so that folks can, can share uh, resources, opportunities, ask questions and engage with, with each other um, without having to filter everything through us. Um, and so that's something we're really excited about as a soon to come. Devin Morris, everyone, thank you so much for your time and just telling us your story, but more importantly, the work of the organization and the work that needs to be done. Uh, this will not be the last time we have you on the show. Thank you for your time, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, looking forward to more and more uh, conversations and, and community building. Thank you for listening to the Educate Us podcast. Subscribe to the show, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, please, please leave us a review or comment wherever you can. We want to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, or any concerns, or just want to be part of the conversation, email us at theeducateusshow at gmail.com. This has been a production of Leon Media Network. I'm Nick Saveri. I'm Patrice Vincent. And I'm Stacey Schultz. We'll see you next time.